Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, let me tell you all something about Anchor. If you ever want to start your own podcast or create your own podcast, Anchor makes it really easy. First of all, it's absolutely free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more popular platforms. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All gas, no brakes. Welcome into episode two of the Now We Have Liftoff New York Jets podcast. Once again, I am your host, John June. And of course, as always, got my guy, Frank Jim Piccolo. Frank, what is going on, man? Yo, what's good, John? Not much, man. We, uh, you know, episode one is out, ready to go. It's, you know, we've already had some, some positive feedback. So episode two uh, two weeks apart, as we as we previously said, we're here, man. And again, we're it's that excitement that's building. We're here. We record this March thirteenth, four days away from the official, the beginning of the official uh, tampering period uh, in free agency, March seventeenth. So, uh, Frank, man, are you excited about this this free agency that we got coming uh, coming on ahead, dude? I, yeah, dude, I'm coming at the seams. I was actually on the. The Gotham City Crew podcast the other night, and they were asking me about what's one thing that uh, you know that I, I would tell to other Jet fans that are getting a little anxious. And all I said is, "Have patience. You, we're going to have to have some patience to get through this little time period that's ahead of us right now." Yeah, man, definitely. Um, and so, you know, we, obviously, we the Jets have their own free agents that they have to take care of in house. And Joe Douglas and Robert Sala had a press conference on March 3rd, about 10 days ago, um, and you know where they discussed some of those things. Uh, so, you know, we're going to just talk about, you know, some of the big takeaways from that press conference, you know, some things that, you know, got us really excited, maybe some things that, you know, some things we, we might have questions on. Um, but, Frank, what was your biggest takeaway from the press conference with, with um, Joe Douglas and, and Robert Sala? It seems like everybody's all in with each other. It seems like everything's a collective group. Everyone's talking to each other. May it be Rex Hogan talking to Matt LaFleur and 
uh, Joe Douglas and Salah being on the same page. Um, Salah had a quote that I thought was really interesting. If you he said that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And that, I think that that summarized the whole press conference perfectly, in my opinion. Yeah, man, I definitely like that. Uh, there, you know, one of the things that was talked about collaborative and communication. Um, you know, and and Joe Douglas, Robert Sala talking about how they were being on the same page in terms of of what players they're looking for: uh, explosive, dynamic playmakers that are not just great on the field, but are also uh, great off the field as well. So I thought that was huge. Um, one of my biggest takeaways, uh, Frank. You know, we we often talk about it. Um, you know, we're both football guys, but I I tend to be a numbers guy as well. So uh, always love dig, digging in these numbers. That's probably the the fantasy analyst in me. But uh, you know, analytics they it was brought up. Joe Douglas he personally said that he loves. Uh, having the analytics in the meetings, um, they they lean on the on the analytics staff to help make decisions. Uh, and when they're going through talking about each player, uh, the same way every scout or or whoever would have a say on the player, the same way as the the analytics uh, team does. So uh, he says they provide some some really good nuggets, and he he really leans on that, especially someone who comes from. You know, someone uh, who comes from the scouting background where he had to trust his eyes, but he also likes to see what the analytics had to say. And Salo agreed with him there. So I'm a huge fan of this. I'm a huge fan of the prospects of the analytics being used, not just in the draft, uh, throughout the draft and free agency, but also on game day potentially as well, as Sala had previously mentioned once before. Frank, what are your thoughts on that? I think you have to be excited about that, right? It's not the same old, same old. You know, the, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So I think as Jet fans, that's what to be most excited about, you know, that they've gone in a new direction. Joe Douglas hired a coach that he had no formal ties with before. He never worked with before. And they're going to use analytics. I and mean, let's be honest, uh, all sports are going towards these Atlantic analytic driven based on how they're evaluating their players and their own players and game plans against other teams. Yeah. I mean, it's just another, it's another data point, right? It's another variable that you're looking at uh, to help make the best decision that you can. And, and why wouldn't you want all the information that is potentially out there to you available exactly. to you, you know? So um, I just think that that's, that's huge. Uh, other things that were talked about, um, you know, Sam Donald was brought up, um, you know, it, Joe Douglas was asked because in October 2019, he said that uh, Sam, you know, Sam Donald was untouchable because he was a franchise quarterback. Uh, but this year, you know, reporters like Adam Schefter are saying that uh, Sam Donald has been made available for trade. Joe Douglas simply said he will answer the call if teams call on Sam. Obviously, as Jets fans, this is no secret to us. We discussed Sam uh, and you know what you know what it might look like for him in terms of his future here in New York uh, in our in our first episode. But uh, is this any shock to you, Frank, that that Joe Douglas said that he'll answer the call on Sam? No, but. 
I think that I think that's Joe Douglas, right? He's always going to answer the call. He answered the call on Jamal Adams. He's going to answer it on Sam. I think Joe's always going to do the best in his mind to put the Jets in the best position to be perennial winners. Yeah, man. In JD, we trust, man. So uh, honestly, whatever decision, um, and we've said this before, but that's because we feel really confident about you know what this organization, the leadership that this organization has between Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, that they will be able to make the best decision that they can, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And so I think it's no surprise that they're going to answer the call on Sam having the number two pick. It's they're most likely going to take a quarterback here. Um, so, we'll, you know, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, it was also brought up, you know, with all these draft picks they have, in addition to the number two overall pick, they have the 23rd pick, they have the 34th, the 34th pick, um, and they also have – a f- uh, two picks in the fourth round, uh, or is it two picks in the third, two picks in the fifth, one pick in the fourth. But either way, they've got these boatloaded draft picks. Um, would Joe Douglas be open to dealing these draft picks for a particular for you know for a player um, if they were you know high a caliber a star caliber player if they were to be made available? Um, and D- Joe Douglas didn't sound like somebody that was going to make this to make a deal for let's say Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson. Um, but he didn't, he said, you know, if you look at these teams, these championship teams that are consistently won, uh, you know, that you do it through the draft. And, and he's like, we have to be a team that hit on, hits on our draft picks. And so, um, you know, could that be him saving face? I, I'm not really sure. Frank, what are your thoughts there uh, with, you know, with Joe Douglas, with what Joe Douglas said there regarding the draft? I don't know, maybe that's a direct shot to Houston um, saying that, yeah, we like Deshaun, but we're not going to trade our whole draft. We're not going to do a, a Ricky Williams trade or a Herschel Walker trade, you know. Yeah. We have a value on Deshaun, and, you know, it's probably somewhere around three first-rounders. Probably that's probably where the cutoff is. And if, you, if you're going to get greedy, we'll just select Zach Wilson or – Justin Fields, and we got a whole bunch of picks to surround those guys with really good talent and a lot of cap space. So, yeah, yeah. So I mean, know. I I know that obviously we're going to discuss this these two guys a little bit later uh, in this episode. But uh, the only thing I did think about was to your point, you know, that maybe this is a shot at Houston. I thought it was maybe, a, you know, a shot to all these other teams because you know the everybody everybody. And anybody knows that the Jets have the most, you know, they have the basically if if all team, if if Houston told every team to put, you know, put a biggest put the biggest pile together that you can, you know, Jets, you put you build a pile, Houston or Miami, you build a pile, Carolina, Denver, everybody knows the Jets pile is going to be the biggest. So he goes out, maybe, you know, so if he came out saying like, yeah, we would make a move like that, then the price is only going up. But yeah, if you say something like this, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm just speculating here. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to keep the hope alive here that JD would. would oh, you go. mean you don't have any sources? No, I have, I have no sources. I not like uh, a lot of these accounts on Twitter uh, with their sources, but I don't have any sources here. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, if Joe Douglas 
comes out and says like, yeah, oh yeah, we would make a deal like that. That price only goes up, but it, by coming out saying you do it through the draft, maybe teams are sitting there saying, you know, hey, well, we don't have to offer as much because you know the Jets have the most to offer, and 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 they're not even really they they might not even be in the fight, and and now you know the now the price the price is is not as high as it was, but who knows? We'll see. Like we said before, and we'll talk about it later. We would we would give up a lot for these guys. Uh, for Deshaun Watson specifically, um, anything else that stuck out to you from this press conference here, Frank? No, no, I think uh, we both hit on it pretty much. That it, it sounds like they're both on the same page, and that is really refreshing to hear because I don't know Rex and Tannenbaum. The last time we felt like a coach and GM were on the same page and pulling the rope in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Rex Tannenbaum, even, you know, we were talking about it off air, man. Genie Tannenbaum was a good tandem as well. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, no, uh, this is this feels good. Uh, sorry, there was one other thing that I did want to bring up, which I thought was great to hear. Uh, Joe Douglas emphasized, you know, they asked about the difficulties of, of, of scouting the draft in a year like this with no NFL combine. Limit, limited availability for private workouts and things of that nature. And Joe Douglas emphasized having people on the staff uh, with fantastic relationships in college football. So you have to assume that he's talking about a guy like Phil Savage, who, who was a director of the Senior Bowl for many years, obviously has relationships with uh, agents and as well as uh you know football football teams and schools uh you know and then you mentioned Rex Hogan as well when we were talking off air uh as somebody who should have good relationships so uh what do you think about this and 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 you know what do you think when you heard that one Frank Yeah I love that like it just feels like the Jets have an all-star cast all 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 around right they got really good guys in the high management positions right underneath Joe Douglas. Uh, Robert Salas brought in some really good guys. Um, he just hired a new head of, of the medical staff yesterday and new uh, strength coordinator. So, you know, it looks like the Jets are heading in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it seems like for the first time in a long time they have a plan and um, unified leadership in some sort of direction here. So, um, yeah, it's important. Yeah, definitely. So, as you can say, now now we have liftoff, or at least it looks like it. Um, but let's get to these the the free agency the you know portion uh, of this off season. But before we can, yeah, this is the best time of the year, right? Yeah, no, I mean second best time because I really do love the draft. Um, yeah, but well, that's because of your background. <laughs> no well any well you know my i think the biggest thing right is because free agency like we we could sit there how many times have we sat there and the jets have all this money and they don't do anything with it right or they 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 can they can you know go they can pursue a player and that player doesn't have to you know necessarily come or like you know uh we we talked about guys that we potentially want and then now they get franchise tagged so like free agency has all this hype but it never really really truly delivers whereas the draft like anything can happen right like they can trade up they can trade back they can you know they can take the guy that you wanted or they can not take the guy that you wanted or they can take somebody that you totally 
thought was complete. They should not have taken in that spot. So like, it's just there's so much suspense and so much excitement, and the draft I think just sells hope more than anything. Absolutely. But talking about free agency, the the draft is for another show. Uh, but before we talk about free agents the Jets should pursue. we got to talk about the guys that they have in-house. Uh, and the guy who is the biggest free agent, um, he was the 2020 team MVP. He was a team captain uh, for the first time in 2020 as well. Uh, Marcus May, the uh, versatile safety, was obviously played free safety for early in his career, played a little bit of strong safety last year before moving back to his, his usual free safety spot. Um, but he gets tagged with the uh, franchise tag here. We'll make somewhere about ten and a half to a million to eleven million dollars in twenty twenty one on a guaranteed contract. So, uh, Frank, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, w- would you have preferred getting a long term deal done with Marcus May, or or do you think the franchise tag is sufficient? No, I'm very happy with the franchise tag, and if it was probably me, I'm franchising him next year, and then letting him test free agency after that. Um, I just don't think it makes a lot of sense to put a lot of money into the safety position. And maybe maybe the Jets would be able to work something out, but by what his agent was saying, it kind of looks like he wants some big-time safety money. And I, I just don't know if where the Jets are if it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny because Joe Douglas did also talk about what the agent had said, Eric Eric Burkhardt, I think his name is. Um, yeah. What he had tweeted out uh, about Marcus, about, you know, the Jets basically not taking care of their best player and a team captain and somebody who took over, who got several all-pro votes after taking over for the all-pro safety, but whatever. Uh, on a two-win team, nonetheless. Yeah, on a two-win team. But anyway, whatever. No no, no slight of Marcus May, though. Marcus May is No, is no, great. it's not his fault. No, he's... But he's, his agent should have been smarter. <laughs> he's a great player, but I think that this is just the, the nature of the safety position, right? Like, you look at... Um, I think Buda Baker is the highest-paid safety in the league right now, and it's something about 14 to $15 million a year. Um, you know, you look at guys like Justin Simmons, Justin Simmons is on his second straight year of getting the franchise tag. Um, you know, that, that market has not really moved when you look at where other positions have gone. You've got defensive linemen, pass rushers making quarterback money. Um, you know, you've got corners, uh, making almost corner, almost quarterback money, um, and, you know, even you saw a linebacker like C.J. Mosley, granted it was because the Jets paid him and Mike McCagnan, um, but $17 million a year. So safeties just have, that market has not moved. And because of that, teams just find it easier to just hit a play, hit a good player with the franchise tag. Uh, so I don't find any, I don't find anything wrong with it. Um, maybe a player like Marcus May, because he is an older prospect, he's already uh, wow, he he turned 28 uh, about four days ago, as his birthday was March 9th. So happy belated birthday to Marcus May there. But um, you know he's 28 years old. You know maybe a player like Marcus May would do better settling for a shorter term deal. You know a two year deal with 
with some guaranteed money on the front end. But again, like you said, if you're the Jets, why not just tag him here, maybe tag him again next year, and then let him walk after that when he's 30 years old. Yeah, like I feel like the NFL always incentivize paying the impact positions, and I think the closer you are to the football, the more impact you are going to have on the ball. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, so, you know, to that point, these players do want to get paid. Uh, you look at a guy like Jamal Adams. You know, he's going to want to get paid at one point. He was he was talking about Aaron Donald and and um, you know that Khalil Mack level of money. Uh, so, you know, this it's interesting to see good where good luck this, to him. Yes, good luck to him for sure. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. But um, you know. We have a game uh, that you decided that you uh, you you came up with here, Frank. Keep them or dump them. We're gonna go through, you know, all the different position groups, hit all these different guys, and and you know, if is there's anybody in that in there that we want to keep, we you know we'll keep them. Anybody in there that we want to, you know, we don't think the Jets should 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 re-sign. Uh, we'll hit them with a dump them. So, uh, Frank, we're gonna go through position by position. Uh, so wide receivers and tight end here. We're grouping this into one group. Uh, so you got Brashad Perriman, Vincent Smith, Jeff Smith at the receiver position, and then uh, Ross Travis at, at tight end. So uh, any of these guys stick out to you? Either way, uh, what do you what do you got here, Frank? The only one that that I would even think about keeping would be Brashad Perriman, um, and the only reason is. He's got top flight speed. He could really take the top off the defense. And he could be probably a very cheap option compared to the other receivers that are going to be in the NFL free agency. Um, But ultimately, I'm probably going to let him walk because he's the knock that was on Robbie Anderson while he was here, which Robbie proved this year in Carolina, which wasn't true, is that Perriman's a one-trick pony. He could only run the nine route, and he only caught fifty percent of the passes thrown to him, and uh, thrown to him last year. And he had eight games with three or fewer receptions, and he cannot stay on the field. Yeah, no, I, I think that was you know people talk about Robbie Anderson and the one trick pony thing, but one of the most underrated things about Robbie Anderson is that I think in his Jets career he had only missed like two games. Or something, yeah. So and so he was dependable. He was always on the field, and yeah, um, your best ability is availability. That is right. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm dumping pretty much all these guys. The only guy I would consider keeping, uh, and it would only be for depth and um, special teams purposes, would be Vincent Smith. Uh, just because he he was somebody that flashed uh, two years ago. Uh, had the core muscle injury last year, so he wasn't really available for that. But, uh, you know, just from a special teams perspective. But either way, I mean, if, if the Jets are, you know, depending on any of these guys for any for any kind of significant s- snaps or production, then they are in trouble. Um, and then Ross Travis, he can get dumped too. Um, yeah. All right, moving, moving on with the offensive line, man. Pat Elfline and Josh Andrews. Uh, I'll start here. Um, I think you and I are both going to agree on this one, but I'm keeping Elfline and I'm dumping Josh Andrews. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with Pat Alfine, and um, I know we talked about this off air, and I've been rustling with it. I, I'm kind of, I feel like I I want to keep Josh Andrews also as a as a depth piece. Um, he's familiar with the Jets locker room, could be a good mentor to a lot of the younger linemen. Uh, supposedly, him and Becton really hit it off. Um, probably could get him for really really cheap, probably on the vet minimum. Because um, he doesn't have a lot of upside, but with the new coaching staff coming in, and uh, I feel like it'd probably be important keeping someone a little bit longer in the teeth uh, to help these younger linemen. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't hate that. Um, you know, maybe he's a guy that you can bring back after the draft if he, if he's still available, has yeah. signed. Um, you know, I just feel like the Jets are going to add a lot on the interior of this offensive line. And so... Um, well, they better. Yeah. And so if they're doing that, then I don't see how there's room for, for a guy like Josh Andrews. But I I'm not I don't refute any of what you're saying at all. Um, any, anybody, there's nothing else there. So moving on to quarterback, man. Joe Flacco, what, what do we got there, Frank? Not terrible. Doesn't move the needle. Again, like we talked about, Josh Andrews. Maybe after the draft, after free agency, if he's still there. I kind of want to upgrade that backup quarterback position. Not saying that he played bad when Sam was out, but I have a feeling that he's going to want to fight for a starting position somewhere. And I I don't need someone trying to sabotage a young quarterback. Yeah, I mean, he did say at the end of the year uh, that he still felt that he had some left in the tank. Um yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I've always tend to think like I'd rather get younger at the quarterback, at the backup quarterback position. Um, you know, just and and I like I like to have some guys with with some mobility there as well. Um, this will sound a little bit crazy, but I mean, I feel like I'd rather have like. I'd rather try. I'd rather. I mean, I guess you can't bring in a guy like Mitch Trubisky to be your backup quarterback because. Uh, you know, there might be a he's he's still young enough that people might question whether you know is Mitch here to be to be a, a developmental guy. Um, but you know, I think getting somebody in here, uh, I know we've talked about like you know, I'd I would trade like a seventh round draft pick for CJ Beathard, uh, you know, somebody who's familiar with the offense and can be here as a mentor. I don't hate that. You know, I don't hate that. You'll have be like a quarter, another uh, coach in the classroom. Yeah, so you know, I would rather do something like that. And and he's still young, uh, and and instead of you know getting a guy like Joe Flacco who's already thirty five years old, so um, yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at there. But um, all right, moving on to running back, man. We got Josh Adams and Frank Gore. Um, I, well, obviously, Frank Gore is probably going to retire. I hope so. Uh, but we sh- either way, there should be no conversations of, of keeping Frank Gore. Um, and Josh Adams, I think, you know, he's he's fine. He's been somebody that, uh, you know, had some success in Philadelphia and, and had some success at times last year. And, you know, other than, than Ty Johnson and LaMichael Pirine, I, I don't think LaMichael Pirine's any good. Uh, you know, I think Josh Adams is somebody that you can bring back as as a depth piece 
uh, to potentially challenge for a backup running back spot because as we've both you know said previously, we think the Jets are going to make some additions here at the at the running back position. Yeah, and I think he's going to fit into the offense well. Um, he had 157 yards rushing last year. Uh, I really liked his average. Um, unlike Frank Gore, um, Josh Adams' average was 5.4 yards a carry. And he's young. He sees the hole really well. And I like he, that he's a one-cut-and-go north and south type of runner. Um, and I think that's going to fit well, fit well into the zone blocking scheme that is the Shanahan uh, run offense. Yeah, man, uh, I I totally could see that for sure. Um, I I think that he he'd be a, a you know a, a nice depth piece at, at depth at, piece yeah. at, at you know at minimum. So I like that a lot. Um, all right, well, move, let's move on to the defensive side of the ball, and we've got some edge guys that may or may not fit this defense over here anymore with Robert Sala. Obviously, the Jets had been a 3-4, a a predominantly 3-4 defense, 3-4 uh, base defense for uh, I, since 2007, 2006? Since Mangini, I Yeah, believe. since Mangini. So, um, you know, they... They they went the transition from Herm to Mangini. I remember seemed like it took two years to make that change, uh, going from a four three to a three four. But now they're making this change back to this four, to the four three defense here. Um, and, and Sala runs this wide nine defense, so he's looking for for uh, some specific body types here too as well. Um, and so Jordan Jenkins and, and Terrell Basham and, and Frankie Louvu, uh, these guys are all questionable fits one way or another here. Um, so where, where are we at here with these guys, Frank? Well, I think the only one out of the three that I'm keeping is Frankie Louvu. Um, because I think Frankie Louvu has that size about him where he could be that wide nine. Um, Jordan Jenkins doesn't fit, uh, you know, he, he's going to be a tweener in this defense. He's going to be too big to play defensive end, and he's or too big to play that outside Will Sam linebacker, and he's too small to play defensive end. Um, but Frankie Louvu, he got – I always liked him. He's got that high motor, never-say-die attitude, and he could probably be a solid situational pass rusher in uh, this 4-3 defense that Ulbrich and Sala are going to run. Yeah, I mean, you know, to your point, like you said, Jordan Jenkins, um, you know, he 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 would be he would have a tough time fitting in this defense. Uh, you know, lacks that that flexibility and that bend that you really need to be to to be an, an edge player in this in this scheme. Um, and Frankie Louvu, like to your point, I think he's a guy that I am keeping. I am dumping. Uh, Jenkins and Basham. Basham also in that in that same box as, as Jenkins. Uh, but Luvu, I think, he was somebody who didn't really fit the 3-4 defense, you know? No. Uh, he he kind of didn't have a spot in that defense. And and so he doesn't really have, a, a, you know, a spot in this defense as well, like you said. But he can be that tweener, that hybrid player. Uh, maybe he plays... In that, in that, in the base downs, maybe he's playing as 
your as your Sam or Will linebacker, uh, and then maybe you know on third downs you you have them in some pressure packages. Um, you know, blitzing or coming off the edge. Uh, but as you mentioned before, that motor has been something that, that I've, I've also liked and I've been, I've gravitated towards. And uh, at worst, he's, you know, he's a special teams player. Um, yeah, he know. screams, he, he screams like special teams player of the year. Um, like Chad Cascadden, if you're going to go back to years past, right? That guy that has that high motor, that's loved by the coaching staff, that, is going to give everything he's got on the field. Yeah, and I, I think Frankie Louvu provides that. Um, all right, man, let's move on to the, the linebacker position. And we've got some guys here. Um, Patrick Awansu, uh, Neville Hewitt, Harvey Lange, and Bryce Hager. Um, I'm... I uh, for So for Patrick Awansu, I think he's a depth piece special teams player. Uh, he's a he's been a veteran linebacker. Uh, started multiple uh, games for many games for the Baltimore Ravens. So he's somebody that I've always liked, but I, I'm not too keen on him one way or the other. I'm not going to be too high on him. Uh, Neville Hewitt, he's somebody that you and I have gone back and forth about, um, but I'm I'm not a huge fan of Neville Hewitt. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna dump him, especially when you consider. Uh, that he's probably trying to get paid coming off the best year of his career, not trying to uh, to fall victim to that. Uh, and then Harvey Lange, you know, fits that he's in that Frankie Louvu, uh, you know, that hair on fire, um, you know, has always stuck out to me that way. So he's somebody that I would also like to keep as well. Um, you know, could could continue to to. Uh, maybe find a role within this within this defense uh as you know maybe the Sam or the Will linebacker uh in this solid solid lead defense or you know Jeff Obrick defense um and then Bryce Hager same thing was Patrick Awansu where you know a special teams player uh you know could provide good depth so yeah I I would I would be I would not be opposed to keeping him as well yeah, I've been struggling with this group. Um, when I was breaking down this group, and I looked at Neville Hewitt, like the stats jump off the page. Um, he, like he's a great tackler, good good technique when it comes to run fits, plays downhill. The problem is is that the league is probably throwing the ball three quarters of the time compared to running the ball. And he's a real liability in pass coverage. He His feet look like they're in cement when he has to cover a back out in the flat. And God forbid a tight end is running a seam route. He's He's gone by, by the time they get to level. So, I, you know what I mean? Like, and, I, and I like him as a player, but to your point, he's being that he's, I think, number three in the NFL in total tackles, he's probably going to want to get paid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely he's. De- I think that's definitely a point. I mean, and like you said, um, you know, at him in pass coverage. I mean, he he was targeted seventy eight times according to Pro Football Reference. Gave up fifty five completions. It's a seventy and a half percent completion percentage, ninety three point four percent passer rating allowed. Um, so you know, he was picked on a little bit by by running backs and tight ends, and so. Um, you know, I do. I, I again do think he's somebody that's going to try to get paid. Uh, also, 
don't want to overpay for a two down linebacker. So, um, all right. So moving no, especially, on, especially, especially when you have C.J. Mosley coming back. Yes, yes. Uh, who you said is like having another free agent or adding a free agent really um, by adding C.J. Mosley. Yes. Um, all right, moving on to the defensive backs. Uh, obviously, Marcus May led this group, but he's franchise tagged, so not worried about him not coming back. But this is a long list. Uh, Brian Poole, Bradley McDougal, Matthias Farley, Arthur Millette, and Bennett Jackson. Uh, you know, Poole, Millette, Jackson are the corners. McDougal and Farley are the safeties. Um, where, what do you have here, Frank, with these guys? Well, I'm bringing Matthias Farley and Bennett Jackson back as special teams players. I think they performed well uh, last year on the special team side of the ball. And I'm torn on Poole. Um, he's really good, but he's going to get a little long in the tooth. And he's probably going to look for more than another one-year deal. He's probably going to look for a two- to three-year deal, I believe. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm with you. Uh, Farley, I think is a, is you know he was a captain last year, uh, a good special teams player. So I I'm I'm totally on board with bringing him back. Bennett Jackson, um, I mean it would it would it would not cost much of anything. So sure, why not? Uh, Bradley McDougal, you can we can dump him. Um, mm-hmm. Arthur Mallette, we can dump him. Uh, but then Brian Poole, man, you know, I, I really, really, really like Brian Poole. I have for the last two years. Uh, you know, he's just, he's been somebody who's been really, he's always flashed within this defense, you know. And so um, I just like, and then, you know, you have Jeff Obert coming, who have obviously has that familiarity with them having been in, in Atlanta together. Um so I just again I'm just really would love for them to bring him back. I know you said he's getting you know long in the tooth, but I, I know we're going to talk about him a little bit later. But Kwan Williams gets brought up all the time as a potential replacement for for yeah, Brian. I love Poole. Kwan Williams. Yeah, but Kwan Williams is 30 already, and Brian Poole's only 28 years old. So you know mm. I, I I'm gonna want to pay. A guy who's been in the locker room. He's him and him and Marcus May are like best friends, going back to University of Florida. Um, you know, so there's chemistry within this within this scheme. And Brian Poole fits this fits the solid defense when you look at you know what you're looking for in a slot corner uh, and versatility wise, you know, just as well. Um, and yeah, you know, it's just that's kind of where I'm at with Brian Poole. I maybe. I, I'm uh, more passionate about him being around more than other people, uh, but I, I really do like Brian Poole, the player. Yeah, I hear you. He's not a bad player. I just think we could get uh, a little more upside with the defense that we're playing than Brian Poole. Yeah, no, definitely. Obviously, you know, you you got to ask yourself with Brian. You know, you got to ask yourself with Brian Poole: Is he a good football player or is he a okay football player playing on a bad defense? I mean, I think Brian Poole was a good football player. I mean, you look at what I do too. Doing. I I do too, but I'm I'm just asking the question. Yeah, no, I think he's I think he's a good football player. I mean, I think you surround him with better players. I mean, 
he and he that would just only elevate him, right? I think that he, I don't think he's a great player, uh, you know. But I think when you look at uh, when you looked at the Jets' defense in the past, right? You know, uh, you looked at when that's just just let's just talk about the twenty the twenty nineteen secondary, right? You had Trumaine Johnson, you had uh, Jamal Adams, Marcus May, Brian Poole, and I don't even know who the other corner was. Who was it? I don't even remember. But Brian Poole was literally one of the strengths within that secondary, uh, and so and even last year, without a, in a season without uh, Jamal Adams and you know Pierre Desir was struggling for most of it, and you've got a rookie, you got rookies and Bryce. Bryce Hall and Lamar Jackson. Brian Poole was never a liability. So, um, I mean, granted, these other players are liabilities. Is that maybe why Mark, why Brian Poole doesn't get noticed as much? I don't know, but he's always has made plays, uh, whether it's interceptions or sacks or forced fumbles or things like that. And so those th- those kinds of things stick out to me. I agree. All right, let's talk about these cut candidates because the Jets can make they can save some money here by cutting some guys. So and they already have. They have already cut some cut somebody. Henry Anderson, uh, eight point two million dollars in savings with that cut there. So you got to feel uh, a little bad for Henry, right? Well, uh, when he was with the Colts and they went to the four three, he gets cut, and now the Jets bring in a new coaching staff and they go to a four three, he gets cut. He's not a bad football player. He's just, you know, like when you're talking about. Our linebackers like Jordan Jenkins and Terrell Basham. He just doesn't fit the defense. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, he also was de- declining a little bit in play. Uh, didn't have quite the impact last year. Um, you know, playing next to guys like Quentin Williams and Fr- John Franklin Myers and Foley Fadakasi. Um, and even Nathan Shepard, who's coming along too. So uh, I think it just kind of made sense. Uh, you know, Henry Anderson was what you know, Bill, Bill Parcells would call a progress stopper. Right. So, um, you know, we just got to, you know, saving, saving $8.2 million is nothing to sneeze at either. And they can save another $8.6 million in savings by potentially getting rid of two offensive linemen, Alex Lewis and Greg Van Rotten, uh, Alex Lewis, uh, 5.2 5.2 million in savings potentially. Greg Van Roten, 3.4 million potentially in savings. Are you on board with this potential? These potential moves. I I would be, but I think this is going to have to be after the first wave of free agency. Nah, do uh, it now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think you're going to want to see who the Jets pick up. You know, if they get you know a bunch of good. Uh, offensive linemen, which we're hoping for, then, then yeah, you don't you don't need them around. But one up, if it was to me, I'm probably I'm definitely getting rid of Alex Lewis because that number is too high for the production that he gives. And Van Rotten might be a good rotational piece if somebody gets hurt. But I was really disappointed with his play coming from Carolina. I thought he would have been a a better better fit next to especially playing next to Becton. Yeah, I mean, I don't think either one of these guys were very good last year. I would actually wouldn't even mind cutting them and seeing if I can get them back at a, at a lower number, if, if, if need be, right? If we're talking about that point, like, oh, well, we need to see who the Jets can get. Like, I'm fine cutting these guys, letting them test out their market as well, you know, and then 
potentially making a move on some of the guys that I actually want. And we already know the Jets are going to make some additions through through the draft as well at the interior of the offensive line. So I'm, I'm okay with, with getting rid of these guys. A guy I'm not okay with getting rid of until we have anything sorted out and somebody who's been brought up because of the potential cap savings there is Jamison Crowder. Uh, potential 10.375 million dollars in savings that could be had if the Jets were to cut uh, wide receiver Jamison Crowder. I think this would be now again if they don't if they go out and they sign you know receiver or a couple of receivers um, maybe draft another one and and you know they tried heavily to trade Jamison Crowder and they can't and then they cut him, then I'm okay with that. But if they just flat out cut him, it would be the the dumbest thing I think that this team has done in, in, a, in a while. So, uh, Frank, where are you at with that sentiment? Yeah, I'm not cutting Jamison Crowder. If anything, I'm trading him. Um, it, may, it makes no sense to cut him. He has too much value. Yeah, I mean, if any, if I can't, if I literally, if I have to cut Jamison Crowder, I would just call Bill Belichick and say, hey, how much would you give me for the slot? I receiver? wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Maybe Nick Casario. Trade him to Houston. I ain't trading him to uh, Bill. <laughs> I mean, hey, who's going to pay you the most for a slot receiver? I, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not helping the Patriots whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, well, you know they've made some trades recently, so you you know don't put it past don't put it past Joe Douglas. Yeah, just the Marius Thomas. That's fine. Well, they also made a trade. They made some trades on draft day. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to free agency, man. So, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, man. So, who should the Jets be targeting in free agency? Let's talk about the. Uh, you know, we, let's talk about the wide receivers in the tight end position. These pass catchers, uh, Frank. I'm gonna let you go first, man. We'll, we can, uh, you know, we'll go one by one here. Who's a guy that you think um, the Jets should should target here at this position? Well, I got one A and one B. If we're talking about this position, uh, and I've had to change what I've thought based on who got tagged because I was all about a Rob coming to the green and white, but Chicago kind of poo-pooed that. So now that I look at it, I look at Will Fuller. In a year where he got got hit with a PED suspension, he had 53 receptions and a 879 yards and eight touchdowns with a team that was downright terrible. Uh, he's got great hands. He's explosive. He's dynamic. Very productive. He blows off the top off the defense. This is a receiver the Jets probably hasn't haven't had since Keyshawn. This type of receiver. Um, but he's got some injury concern. He does have to serve a night, another game for his PED suspension. And he's a he's getting up there in age. He's going to be 28 years old by the time the season starts. Yeah, I mean, I I love I love me some Will Fuller here. Um, you know, I I do find it interesting that he could not stay healthy, and then the one year he stays healthy happens to be the same year he gets popped for PEDs. So that's not great. But 
when you look at how he fits, I think he's a perfect complement to Denzel Mims. Uh, you know, talking about a speed receiver uh, who can take the top off the defense. Uh, that's going to help pull some safety, so Denzel Mims could continue to work, um, continue to work the middle of the field, continue to work the short to intermediate range. So, you know, I I, I would really like that there. Uh, I'll let you get to your one B, but I'll I'll just throw my guy in here real quick now. Um, but I'm my I I do now again re- receiver. I call it a flavor position all the time. You know, it's there's different body types, different skill sets that you look for in guys. And for me personally, I, I, I value guys that have versatility. Uh, I value guys that can affect the, the pass game, the run game. They can even, you know, help out on special teams in the return game. And so I'm talking about a guy in Curtis Samuel uh, who's just, he's budding. He's continuing to grow, continuing to develop. He's only 24 years old, uh, doesn't turn 25 until August. Uh and he's coming off a season in which he had uh, a thousand total yards from skim- from scrimmage, 851 receiving yards to go along with 200 rushing yards, uh, scoring five total touchdowns, two 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 rushing, three receiving. Um, and this is a guy who, you know, you may think that oh, this is just he's just a gadget player, but this he's so much more than that because just a year ago. Uh, when there was no Robbie Anderson in Carolina, and it was DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, just those two, Curtis Samuel was the deep receiver. Uh, he was the guy that was lining up on the outside, running the go routes, uh, averaging 14, uh, 14.6 yards average depth of target, uh, as opposed to this year uh, where he was used as in more of a gadget-type role. 7.3 yards average depth of target. So this is a guy that can play multiple roles, do multiple things within your scheme, as well as affecting impact in the run game as well. And we know uh, Mike LaFleur coming from the Kyle Shanahan tree. We saw guys like Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and how they were used in, in a multitude of ways. And I think Curtis Samuel fits that skill set perfectly. Yet- Oh, that's it. He would fit that skill set perfectly, and I think he would probably come a little bit cheaper than maybe some of these other guys would have, like an Allen Robinson or maybe a Kenny Galladay, who I'm sure that we're going to talk about soon. Yeah, like uh, to just piggyback on to you, um, Samuel just reminds me of a more polished Brad Smith, who we know that you just gush over Brad Smith. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he he Curtis Samuel comes from, you know, that Percy Harvin tree. Um, you know, you look at a guy like that, you know, a Debo Samuel. Um, but you know, Curtis Samuel is a guy, he was a running back at the univer- at, at Ohio State, right? He was a running back at Ohio State. Um, they decided to move him to receiver when Urban Meyer got there. He put him in that in that Percy Harvin role. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I do love Curtis Samuel and were he to come back to where he, were he to sign with the jets, he would be coming back home as he is a Brooklyn, New York native. Yeah, that's great. But as you said, we were going to turn back to Kenny Galladay. I really, really like Kenny Galladay. He's six, four, two eighteen. He is 28 years old, was hurt last year, but Galladay has proven to be a top threat in that Detroit offense. Over four seasons, he has caught 183 balls, 
for a little over 3,000 yards and 21 touchdowns. That's just screams production. He makes highlight real type grabs time and time again. And he w- he's been Matt Stafford's top target um, during uh, that 19 season that earned Galladay uh, his first Pro Bowl. Yeah, man. He does I love- have a little... Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. He does have some injury concerns, and it's going to be a big contract. And he kind of... He kind of has that Denzel Mims role, but to me, you can't have too many big-bodied receivers that are making plays, especially when what we have gone through the last couple of years. Yeah, to be honest with you, man, I'm not concerned about the 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 injury concerns. Maybe other people are. I mean, as we know, I I do fantasy football podcasting and, and I analysis, and so uh, if you were listening to my fantasy podcast, I I was telling people that you were never going to see Kenny Galladay again for the 2020 season uh, because he is a free, he's a free agent. The Lions were losing. There was no way that if I was advising Kenny Galladay that I would advise him to step on a football field in 2020. So, um, yeah, so I'm not too concerned about the injuries there. Uh, I do agree. Kenny Galladay, uh, you know, they call him Baby Tron for a reason. Um, because he, he really is that dude, uh, you know, had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons between 2018 and 2019, was on pace for that again in 2020. Um, so, you know, I, I love Kenny Galladay. I think that, you know, obviously he's going to cost some money, um, you know, and, and that's why I said before, I, I like a guy like Curtis Samuel just because of, of of the finances, but that doesn't mean you're you're not getting a great player in Kenny Galladay. Um, what about these tight ends, man? Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith. Do you have any interest with these guys? No, no I, I I just don't. None of them move the needle for me. Hunter Henry's always hurt. Um, Janu Smith is a great talent. I I just don't think with the amount of holes that the Jets have that they should be tying up big capital into the tight end position yeah I, I agree with that as well um I mean even you know people talk about you know the offense and how we need a tight end but you know Chris Herndon while he did forget how to play football last year I think that we can kind of, I think the coaching staff here can remind him uh Ryan Griffin who we talked about before off air um is still on this roster as well um you know, so maybe you know, maybe maybe Johnu Smith. I mean, also they still have Trevon, Trayvon Wesco. I mean, I don't know how much that means. Maybe they stop trying to make him play fullback and just keep him as a tight end. But he's a capable. Yeah. Uh, how about well, signing an actual fullback? Yeah, that would be great. Which we will also potentially get to here in, in a minute. But let's move on to this offense. Actually, let's just go there, man. Let's go score running backs right now. Um, so. Obviously, there are some potential additions the Jets can make at the running back position. You just talked about a fullback, so let's just talk about him right now. Kyle Juszczyk of the San Francisco 49ers is a free agent. Uh, I'm totally, I'm totally interested for the Jets to have a fullback again, Frank. I We're know simpatico. You, we are simpatico. <laughs> I I know that you are 100% on the same page with with that. And why not get a guy who has experience? lining up as a as a fullback, lining up as a tight end, who has experience playing within this offense, who's been 
called one of the smartest players within his within his his uh, his position group, and so have this guy come here, teach the rest of the offense to these young guys, uh, and and get this thing going the right way. And again, you you get a a Cali kid coming or a, a guy who's out in California coming back to the Northeast. Uh, you know, not quite Massachusetts or Harvard, but uh, we're only three and a half hours away, depending on where you're at in the state of New York or potentially New Jersey, depending on uh, which how you were raised, but or where you were raised. But anyway, Frank, where are you at with Kyle Juszczyk, man? I love it. I, he screams Richie Anderson to me. Um, when you when you watch him play, he could catch the ball out of the backfield. He can. Um, he runs downhill, opens up those big lanes. The Jets haven't had a good fullback since Tony Richardson, so I'm all for it. Let's do it. Yeah, man, I'm all for that as well. Uh, what about any running backs that you would want to sign? Is there any who piques your interest here as a running back? Who piques? Well, there's really like Aaron Jones. I'd love to have, but I think he's gonna be a lot of money. But if we're talking about the Green Bay Packers, the Jamal Williams really piques my interest. He's young. He's great at keeping his balance through the hole. He's a powerful powerful runner who gains a good amount of yardage when he's finishing his runs. Um, he has a good stiff arm, great spin. You know, the only con that I would have for him is, you know, he doesn't have a big burst, but the Jets aren't going to have that number one running back, I think. I think everything's going to be running by committee, and I think he would be a good fit. Yeah, man, I think he'd be a great fit. He's had um, at least 700 yards from scrimmage uh, three of the last four years. Uh, And these are, again, he's only been in the league for four years. Uh, You know, had 800 yards his first year in the league, had 741 yards last year. Uh, has scored 18 touchdowns in his four-year career. He's only 25 years old, will be 26 in April, um, but doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires as he only has 622 uh, career touches. Um, you know, that includes, you know, rushing, rush attempts and, rece- and receptions. So uh, still got some tread on the tire there. Uh, I really do have, I've liked Jamal Williams for a while. I, I've been talking about him as somebody the Jets should try to get in free agency. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, he's a good player, so he might have suitors. So, you know, I know that I may look at him and think that he's underrated, but these NFL teams, they do their homework as well. So a guy like Jamal Williams is interesting. Well, what are your feelings of what the Jets should do for their offensive line? Yeah, I mean, so we obviously, um, you and I have talked about the offensive line for a while. I think there's a, a bunch of different directions that they can go. And I think you and I, when we spoke uh, earlier this week, one of the things that we kind of both agreed on were, uh, and correct me if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we said that they have to get Zeitler and the other interior addition has to be either Tooney or Lindsay. Yeah, and I think I think I'm more high on going Lindsley's direction than you are. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not that I'm not high on Lindsley's direction. Uh, it's just, I, like I said, 
I know that they're not going to be able to get both Tooney and Lindsley. So, uh, and Zeitler being available has kind of created this, this, this opportunity where you can add Zeitler potentially and still add one of these two guys. So it's not that. So I guess what you were what you were sensing before was me being more pro Tooney than being pro. Yeah, that's Lindsay. what I mean. You're more. I'm not saying you're anti Lindsay. I'm just more pro uh, Tooney. Yeah. So I was more pro Tooney, but now with this opportunity, I don't really care what they do. Zeitler just has. They just have to get two. Two of these oh, three. At at to me at least two. Yeah. You know they they could even they could even go a direction and get a tackle and cut uh, Fant. Yeah, I mean, I I I'm not really uh, of that mindset. I actually think that keeping Fant makes a ton of sense when you look at the fit that you know you look at the offense and how he fits it. I think yeah. keeping him makes a ton of sense. So um, that's kind of where I'm at there. But you know, at the same time, right? Like I said before, whatever they whatever Joe Douglas and staff decide to do, then I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of trust that there. Yeah, I really, for me, I really like Lindsay. Whenever the Jets had the best success, it was with Kevin Mawai, Nick Mangold, when they had a, a good, tough, smart center. And I once Nick Mangold left, it kind of felt like the wheels of that offense fell off. Yeah, definitely, definitely there. But also to that same point, right, like, um, I think we all agree McGovern was, McGovern's a good player. He's not a great player. And good players mm. look look worse when they're surrounded by bad players. So, um, True. You, you know, and, and you look at a guy like McGovern who has who had two poor you know had poor guard play on either side of him. I think if you improve the guard play, right? Like if you were to add a Zeitler and a Tooney, that suddenly McGovern would play better, right? So that's kind of how I feel. But I do agree. Like right, adding Lindsley. Adding a Zeitler, moving McGovern to guard, I think that also makes the the offensive line better. Because as you know, and as I know, right, uh, offensive line is not necessarily about you know this player being better than that player. It's about which group of five is the best group of five that you can put together. Yeah, I agree. It's all about fit. How the, how do those offensive linemen fit with each other into the system? Yep. Yep, absolutely. So, um, all right, Frank, moving on to the defensive side of the ball, man. Uh, is anybody at the at the edge rusher position? I mean, I'll start here. Um, you know, I know that there's obviously Yannick Ngakwe has been my – he's it's, I've basically been trying to get this dude for like two years now, uh, and he, the, the Baltimore Ravens have not franchise tagged him. Uh, I think you and I both talked – that I would rather I would actually move Shaq Barrett above that list uh, between the two players when you just look at Shaq Barrett's production and whatnot. Um, but I would be totally okay with throwing some money at, at Yannick and Gakwe as well. But but Frank, where are your thoughts on that, and uh, who do you think the Jets should target at the edge position? Shaq Barrett. Yeah. <laughs> he, he he just. He creates havoc. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you think about sh- about fit, right? Shaq Barrett and then having Quinnen inside with Fadakasi, 
or whoever the Jets are rotating in there, I just think it's going to be makes the job going to be a lot easier on whoever's playing defensive back for the Jets. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at, I mean, again, we both agree uh, that, you know, Shaq Barrett is the way to go. Uh, but Yannick Ngakwe, I think, also a good player who who gets it done. I just again, you know, you look at a guy like like Shaq Barrett, like Shaq Barrett had eight sacks this year, had nineteen and a half the year before. Um, I think eight sacks would be a career high for Yannick Ngakwe, if I'm not mistaken. There, um, but you know, a guy like Shaq Barrett, the production that he's had, I think fits would fit this defense perfectly. Um, you know, but again, also, do I, I also feel, oh, actually, no, 12 sacks would be a career high for Yannick. 12 sacks, nine and a half, and eight each of the last two years. So Yannick has production as well, too. So, um, yeah, I mean, and they're both young, too. Yannick and Gakwe, 25, will be 26 at the end of March. And Shaq Barrett, he's 28, will be 29 in November. So, um you know, I think you could get at least another two, three years out of each of these guys, uh, you know, from both of these guys. So, um, anybody else at the edge position there that you that you think the Jets should should target there, Frank? Um, I think we're going to go in a different direction here. I I would target Solomon Thomas. Um, I, he's a good fit with the defense. He's familiar with Salah from their time in San Francisco. He could generate pass rush from the edge or the interior of the defensive line. He could win both as a speed guy or a power guy. Uh, he moves quickly up and down the line of scrimmage in the run game. Uh, the only con is maybe he's a little bit undersized to play the tackle and a little too big for a defensive end. Yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm don't hate it. I just am not a huge fan of this move to get Solomon Thomas. I just think he's he's redundant um, when you consider all all else that we have across this defensive line. Uh, you you know you're looking at guys like uh, Quinnen and John Franklin Myers and Nathan Shepard. Uh, it just feels like that time when we had like Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson and Leonard Williams and Quentin Copels and just like all these guys with yeah, same but, body types. But the only difference stuff. the only difference with that time is that the Jets use number one draft picks to select all those guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean yeah, I'm I mean I'm 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 not too keen on attacking the interior of this defensive line. I mean maybe a guy like Kerry Hyder would come cheaper and um, you know, potentially fill that same purpose that that you know Solomon Thomas would of being familiar with with Sala and uh, helping be able to to, to uh, add some some leadership to that to that defensive line room. Um, now if we're talking linebackers. Now we're going to shift gears here a little bit. Uh, I want a guy like like Nicholas Morrow. I know I've talked about him to you off air. But he's a guy who turns 26 in July. Uh, you know, if we want to talk about, um, you know, we talked about all the issues that Neville Hewitt had in coverage. Uh, uh, Morrow did not have those issues. Nicholas Morrow, um, you know, he was 
rated by PFF as one of one of the better coverage linebackers as well. So, um, and again, like I said, he's 25 and he can run, so he'll fit this, uh, you know, this this Jets mantra of trying to get uh, more explosive, dynamic playmakers, but also getting youthful playmakers as well. So I think he's somebody, you know, started for. Uh, started 11 games for the Raiders last year, 78 total tackles. Um, you know, so I, I, I would, I would like the Jets to go after him. Yeah, I got no problems with that. I, you know, doesn't move the needle for me one way or the other. Um, for inside linebackers, or even Sam or Will, you know, like we said before, we're getting C.J. Mosley back, so that's like a uh, free agent addition. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what about in the uh, in the secondary? I know there's been talks about Salah going after some of his uh, some guys from his his old his old stopping grounds in San Fran. What do you what do you got on your mind, Frank? Yeah, for number one, uh, Kawan Williams to play that nickel cornerback role. Um, he's sound, aggressive tackler, especially on the underneath routes. He's not afraid to come up and run support. He's physical for his size. Uh, he finishes through his target with the intent to strip the ball. Um, stealthy blitzer could kind of play that Jamal Adams type role that May struggled with last year. Um, he's light and nimble in coverage. Um, lacks a little bit in height and length. Can get beaten up with overuse. And he has a little bit of a concussion history as well. Uh, he's 30 years old. So that could be a problem, getting a little, little old there. But I think overall in helping Sal and Olbrich, uh working with the defensive system, I think they got to bring either him in or Richard Sherman in. Yeah, I mean, I actually would prefer that they bring in Richard Sherman, re-sign Brian Poole, like I said. But Quan Williams, I, again, I'm not going to hate that one as well. Um, you know, he is a he is from the area, uh, Jersey High School product, went to St. Joe's Regional. Um, so, you know, there's familiarity that way too. Uh, but you know, again, I'm not going to beat this one, uh, you know, I'm not going to beat this one to death. Um, you know, I think any additions that they make at corner would be, would be welcomed. Uh, I've also, you know, we've also talked about Shaquille Griffin, uh, from who's coming from Seattle. He, he was, he was not franchise tagged. He's available. So he, you know, kind of fits that mold of what the, you know, he, he had, actually taken over the Richard Sherman uh, role, you know, the Richard Sherman spot in that San, in that Seattle defense playing that left corner. Uh, and he played it really well. So uh, he's a guy that I, I would, I would like the jets to potentially look at uh, another guy that we've talked about before William Jackson. I'd also like the jets to look at him as well, but um, you know, again, whatever they do, we're just going to trust that solid and, and uh, Joe Douglas are, are making the best decision that they can. So, um, what about safety? Any additions at safety, or, or think we think we're good there? No, I think we're okay there. Especially, you know, your franchise may. Uh, you got uh, uh, what you call it? The kid from um, Cal. Oh yeah, Ashton Davis. Ashton Davis. Uh, I think he played. A lot better as the year went on, especially once we got rid of uh, Greg Williams. I think his play improved. Um, and I think he's just going to fit that San Francisco 
old brick defense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, all right, man. Let's let's move on uh, because we talked about obviously what would happen uh, in this free agency, and this was all assuming that the Jets don't make any moves. But as yeah. we've talked about, there's the possibility of maybe getting a Deshaun Watson. There's the possibility of maybe getting a Russell Wilson. There was a report the other day that the the Seahawks are trying. The Seahawks want to trade Russell Wilson just as bad as Russell Wilson wants to be traded. <laughs> you know, so uh, you know maybe that that divorce is happening maybe some quicker than we might have thought. So Frank, how does pursuing these guys change the free agency plan for the Jets? All right, so if they get either of those guys, I no longer think you need two offensive linemen. One, definitely. Um, but you don't need two because they both could move, and I think you got to think about instead of getting an additional big-time money offensive lineman, getting these guys another playmaker. You know, because your window immediately opens the minute you make that trade. You become a rebuilding team to a team that has to fight for the division. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would agree with that sentiment as well. More so with Russell Wilson because of his age. Like, you have a little bit more time with Deshaun, but you're going to be paying Deshaun, so you better win soon. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, too, that I think has to be considered is that, um, you know, there's going to be a some cap ramifications for that as well. When you when you take on a guy like Deshaun Watson, right, you're going to have to take on um, these cap numbers for the next few years, which will then control, you know, have an impact on on what kind of moves you make in free agency. I mean, in 2021, Deshaun has a cap hit of almost $16 million. Um, but in 2022, that becomes $40 million and then $42 million in 23. So you're going to have to consider this contract when you make these free agency moves, uh, when, you, you know, when you're going out pursuing guys. So, you know, maybe, the, maybe you see the Jets do something not similar to what they did last year, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe the, the, you know, the higher ended version of that, which was they, they signed a, you know, we saw Joe Douglas sign a bunch of guys, um, from the, you know, the B market or the C market. Um, you know, maybe he, maybe he spends up a little bit, um, but it actually uses this as an opportunity to fill the roster a little bit, you know, um, and sign some quality, uh, starters, but maybe maybe not the big names that we're looking for, but just guys that you know that you know are are going to that are maybe young, um, can start or are maybe entering the prime of their careers, uh, and allowing you to maintain that flexibility when you make a trade here for uh, potentially Deshaun Watson or or Russell Wilson. Um. So yeah, I mean, uh, what do you? What about the like the opportunity for potentially a, a? You know, I've heard this thrown around before: a tag and trade for a guy like Allen Robinson. Would you be opposed to doing something like that? Yeah, I I saw um, someone suggested on Twitter that once 
A-Rob got tagged. The Jets trade up A-Rob and Sam straight up. And I don't know, man. There's a lot of good wide receivers out there that we could get with just money. I'd rather not give up like Sam or future picks for for Allen Robinson. It's not like he's um, Megatron or Terrell Owens or Randy Moss. Yeah, I mean, it dep- I think it depends on what it would cost, right? Because if you told me that, um, you know, it would cost Sam Darnold and a fifth-round pick to get Allen Robinson, I think that I would do that, right? Because if Sam Darnold cost me a second-round pick, if I if if I if teams are willing to give me a second-round pick for Sam Darnold, you know, I would hope that that second-round pick turns out anything like Allen Robinson. And yeah, maybe I'll have to pay him. Uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm the one that said I would not want Allen Robinson. But I think based on that, based on this instance, I would. Um, but you know, I, not that I don't want Allen Robinson. I just think him and him and and Denzel Mims are kind of redundant body types, and I just like you know building, uh, building uh, you know your receiving core like a basketball team where you have you have a three point shooter, you've got your your big man. You've got your, um, you know, your 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 ball handler, like all these different skill sets, and so like I, I like that within a receiver receiving core where you know Denzel Mims is your big body, uh, you know, guy that plays above the rim, and then maybe you can get a guy like Curtis Samuel to work that short to intermediate, or maybe you get a guy like Will Fuller to to be the deep guy, and then you still have Jamison Crowder work in the slot. So you know, just having all these different skill sets, different body types. Uh, and that's kind of just how I, I look at it. But, yeah, I, I mean, a tag and trade for a player like like Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin, I would not be opposed to depending on what the price would be, of course. Yeah, the context matters. Definitely. Um, all right. So, Frank, as we wrap this up, um, let's get, we, we have one segment here. Uh, last week we or last time we did um, our all-time favorite Jets. This time we're doing, to keep the theme alive, all-time best and worst free agent additions. And so, Frank, uh, I know you've got two uh, for each of those. So why don't you give your, your uh, why don't you give one best free agent, I'll give my one best, and then we'll just ping pong back and forth. So who's, who's, uh, who's who you got first for a best free agent, Frank? All right. Uh, I got two guys. And they both played together. The first one would be Vinny Testaverde. Um, coming into the 1998 season, he signed a two-year, $5.5 million contract. After Neil Donald was released, uh, Glenn Foley was the starter. And the Jets did not start off all, all so hot. Parcells put Vinny Testaverde in, and he only had one loss leading into the playoffs that year. Uh, With the Jets, he won, as I said, that AFC East Division title 98, started 57 career games. Most of his success was with the Jets. But as most times happen with the Jets, success wouldn't last. He tore his Achilles the next year and was hard to recapture that magic of the 98 season. Yeah, man, uh, I 
you know, Vinny Testaverde was a, um, you know, I, I, as I mentioned before, I watched the tail end of, of his career. Um, but, you know, he, he was definitely uh, a good a good player from all the things that I had seen, uh, especially that 98 season. But um, my free agent addition is going to be uh, Alan Fanica, man, because I think about that 2008 uh, obviously, the 2009-2010 teams were great. Uh, Fanica on that 2000, and uh, you know he was a staple on that on on that 2009 team, especially. Uh, you know, was signed in 2008 to a five-year, 40 million dollar deal after uh, you know ending his career with the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, and so Alan Fanica uh, was just you know instrumental. I would say in in helping turn the Jets around, they went from four and twelve in tw- in two thousand seven to eight, well eight and eight in two thousand or nine and seven in two thousand eight to then again nine and seven in the AFC Championship game in two thousand and nine, um, and so again Alan Fanica uh, helping to turn around that offensive line that you talked about uh, with, with Nick Mangold with DeBrickershaw Ferguson, with Damian Woody, and with Brandon Moore to help build one of the best offensive lines uh, in, in New York Jets football history. So to piggyback on talking about the best offensive line, uh, I have Kevin Mawai. Uh, in 1998, he signed a $17 million contract with the Jets, which at the time made him the highest paid center. Uh, if you ask me, him and Mike Webster have revo- revolutionized the center position. Uh, when you look at Kevin and see how fast he was pulling, uh, leading the way for um, Curtis Martin with guys like Jason Fabini and Jumbo Elliott, to me, that was the best offensive line the Jets ever had. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Kevin Y helped, uh, you know, helped establish those early Jets uh, offensive offensive lines, the, the success that they had, especially in the run game, and just the dominance and the physicality that they had. Um, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, I'm going to stay actually with the 2008 uh, free agency class, and this one kind of cheated a little bit because he was a trade, uh, but it was kind of like a free agency when you, when you really hear the, the terms of this deal. Uh, the Jets traded the 37th pick in the draft to the Chicago Bears for uh, the 63rd pick in the draft and running back Thomas Jones, who the Jets then immediately signed to a four-year, $25 million extension. And Thomas Jones went on to basically uh, be that Jets offense and be that Jets uh that you know the engine especially for that 2009 season uh thomas jones ran for 1400 yards and 14 touchdowns uh you know basically on a roster with mark sanchez that threw 12 touchdowns and 20 interceptions uh teams knew that the jets were going to run the jets knew that they were going to run the stadium everyone in the stadium knew that the jets were going to run and it didn't matter uh, Thomas Jones just had an attitude about him, uh, and he was that Jets identity uh, for the two, you know, for basically the 2008 and 2009 seasons. No, absolutely. 
So, Frank, we get into these worst free agency signings, and oh. I've only really got one, so I'm just going to throw them out here right now and I'll let you cap off with your two. Uh, but my worst is got to be Trumaine Johnson, man. Uh, I, I don't even have the numbers up on the deal, but it was something – it was – Hold on, I'm just gonna pull it up now because it it was I have to talk about this. And I actually liked Trumaine Johnson as a player when he was coming out, and he had a you know had that good season uh, in 2017, uh, playing on back-to-back franchise tags 2017 and 2016. And basically, if anyone doesn't remember how the 2018 free agency went, the Jets were trying to were pursuing very heavily uh, Kirk Cousins at the time. Uh, and when Kirk Cousins spurned the Jets and went on to uh, to sign with the Minnesota Vikings, the Jets turned all their attention to Trumaine Johnson, who they signed to a five-year, $72.5 million contract that was with $34 million guaranteed. And for all that money, uh, the Jets got seven pass deflections, uh, five interceptions and 17 games uh, as he was actually released uh, on March 18th, uh, 2020. Uh, so he did not, he was put on injured reserve actually during the 2019 season and then was released in, you know, following that year. So only played uh, two years really into that five-year deal. Uh, but the Jets paid him a lot of money for it. Oh, they sure did. So Frank, who who what two do you got, man? All right, uh, I'm gonna start off with Neil Donald. At age 29 in 1996, the quarterback was signed by Richie Kotite to a five-year, 35 million dollar contract. Um, it was nothing short of a catastrophe. O'Donnell and the Jets. The first year he went one and fifteen, and eventually he got cut after that. Uh, after Parcells was brought in in 2000 and, uh, in 1997, he lost his starting job to Glenn Foley. And at the end of that season, O'Donnell refused to reno- renegotiate his contract. And Parcells chose to waive O'Donnell. And to finish it off, I have Sam Cowart who was signed in 2001 after the Jets refused to re-sign James Ferrier. Uh, While Cowart was a legend in Buffalo, he was never able to regain that form with the Jets, uh, mainly because he tore his Achilles the previous year. Um, A a lot of people might not remember him because he had two other really good linebackers on either side of him, for the years that he was with the Jets. The first two years, he was saved by Jets all-time greats Marvin Jones and Mo Lewis. And his last two years, he was flanked by Victor Hobbs and, and rookie Jonathan Villa. Yeah, man, I, I don't remember uh, Sam Coward all that much. The name was familiar. I don't. If I could tell you that if I ever saw him play, I, I would... I, I, I wouldn't be able to, to definitively tell you that. Um, but, yeah, no, Neil O'Donnell, I've heard those stories. Again, wasn't watching the Jets at the time, but um, 
Yeah, the Jets have made some bad decisions with the money. Hopefully, they don't make any bad decisions this year with the money. Um, but, yeah, Frank, anything else you have to add? I think uh, that's it. Nope, that is it. So, thank you, everybody, for listening. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, again, if you could please rate, review the podcast, that would be great. If you could also go ahead and follow us, uh, you could follow Frank at Frankie Bots. That is F R A N K Y B O T Z. Uh, you could follow me uh, on Twitter at JR Football Nerd, and then you could follow the show. Uh, Frank, what is the what is the handle for the show again? Please remind the people. Give me a second. The handle on Twitter is liftoff underscore nyj. And if you want to follow us on Instagram. The handle is now we have liftoff. There you go. So you could give us a follow on both of those social media accounts. That would be fantastic. Again, rate, review the podcast wherever you can find us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or or at Anchor uh, as well. So I'm definitely going to try to continue to push out, uh, you know, get on more more listening platforms. Uh, But for now on... Uh, every two weeks, you'll be able to find us on this feed. Uh, and next in next episode, we'll probably be talking about what the Jets have done in free agency thus far, some of our reactions, uh, and, and hopefully they've done some of the things that we've talked about here today. So again, everyone, thank you and have a good one. Thanks, everybody.